So as we start this sermon series on Jonah, um, would you pray with me? Let's ask God to, to instill that truth in our hearts today. Father, we thank you for never giving up on us, for never giving up on Jonah, for taking every single sin in our lives, everything that, that we put in the way to separate us from you and removing it, always, always giving us your presence. Be with us now as your presence comes to us through your word. May it teach us, may we hear the gospel proclaimed into each and every heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, please. So we're kicking off uh, this school year of, of Connect uh, with a three-week series on the book of Jonah. So for the next three weeks, um, we're going to be kind of having this up-close and personal experience uh, with this story. It's a story that I think most of us probably know pretty well, um, although maybe we don't know it quite as well as we think we do. Um, I was reading a little bit about Jonah a little bit ago, and uh, St. Augustine said, it was kind of surprising how he put it too, he said that, that the average Christian can probably understand pretty well the mystery of Jesus rising from the dead. But if that same Christian thinks that he understands everything there is to know about Jonah, then he doesn't know his own limitations. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty important book, but it's, it's a very short one. It's, it's like two and a half pages double spaced. It's like a, a high school essay or something like that. It's 689 words in the original Hebrew text. And um, it, it's, it's easy for us to think maybe it's not all that important since it's so short, but it's, it's actually one of the greatest works of rhetoric in the ancient world, and it stands out among the books of the Old Testament as well. Unlike pretty much every other prophet's book, Jonah is not a story so much about a prophet's prophecies, but about the prophet himself. But as we're going to see today and the next couple weeks, it's really, more than anything, a story about me and you. Our goal for this series, then, is going to be to, to get ourselves into the story exactly where we're intended to be. Uh, to experience uh, with Jonah the, the rough waves of the Mediterranean kind of thrashing us around, uh, to know what it feels like to go down into the deep darkness, to feel the seaweed around our neck. But most of all, as we see ourselves in Jonah's running and his obstinacy and his shortcomings, at the same time, we will meet a God whose pursuit of of stubborn and reluctant sinners is far greater than we can ever imagine, a love that, that we simply cannot understand. So let's get into it. Um, and I'd like to do so by, by sharing with you um, some very important words from a comedian that Emily and I saw a few weeks ago on Netflix. Um, this comedian was talking about the telephone and kind of the history of, of that device over the years. Um, and he said that to his mother, the phone was this magical communication device that stayed in the kitchen and had an eight-foot cord. But to him, and probably to most of us nowadays, the phone is a seldom-used app on our phone that we're really not all that eager to use. Think back to the days uh, before caller ID, when the phone would ring in your house, would you be eager to run and get it? Probably not if you were, unless you were expecting a call or something. And then when someone else did get it, and they said, hey, it's for you, what would you usually say? Who is it? 
Yeah, today, you know, we can screen our calls just by looking at our phone usually and kind of ignoring the ones that, that we don't want to deal with. But even so, we still might find ourselves in a phone conversation that we really don't want to have. Um, just this past week, I made the mistake of making a hotel reservation, not online, but over the phone. And at the end of it, I was unwittingly transferred to the hotel's vacation benefits program or something like that. It took me quite a while to convince the guy who was generously offering me a complimentary uh, four-day, three-night resort package that I was, in fact, just the type of loser who would pass up a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity such as that. You've been there, right? In a phone conversation that, that you really don't want to be a part of. Well, welcome to the world of Jonah. So there Jonah sat, uh, probably Snapchatting his North Israelite buddies or something, uh, when all of a sudden, this call pops up on his screen. You know, either kind of accidentally or, or against his better judgment, he presses the green button, and here's the voice of God on the other end. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. Now, to be fair, this was a far cry from a four-day, three-night resort package. Nineveh was home to the most evil people in the ancient Near East, people who proudly described their soldiers as ravenous beasts who would tear apart men, women, and children. Calling Jonah to go to Nineveh was kind of like calling a Jew in 1943 to go to Nazi Germany and demand that they repent. In Jonah's eyes, this was an absolutely ridiculous thing for God to be asking him to do, and not at all what Jonah had signed up for. In fact, what Jonah was signed up for was apparently a pretty cushy job as a court prophet for King Jeroboam II in northern Israel, kind of advising the king on foreign policy. Earlier on in 2 Kings, um, God had used Jonah to share the good news that he was planning to expand Israel's borders. Things were going very well for Jonah in his lucrative position until the word of the Lord came to him, calling him to go to Nineveh beyond these expanded borders that he got to announce earlier and preach to his worst enemies. So what does Jonah do? He hangs up on God. The first two verses of Jonah's book are very, very similar to to most of the other callings of prophets in the Old Testament, where the word of the Lord comes to them. At at times, a prophet will will get up and do immediately what God told them to do, but most of the time, uh, the prophet puts up an objection or kind of argues with God a little bit. Jonah, on the other hand, says nothing. Jonah's silence here is deafening because he is the only prophet in the Bible who responds to God's call by not responding at all. The narrative is showing us from the very beginning that Jonah is the anti-prophet. A prophet is one who speaks for God. Jonah can't even be bothered to speak to God. At this point in the story, we're led to assume that maybe his comfortable position in the government or maybe his fear of the Ninevites' cruelty is is what's keeping him from from going to Nineveh, which is uh, influencing his decision to ignore God. We'll find out, actually, the real main reason that Jonah is ignoring God in a couple of weeks. But regardless, God calls, 
and Jonah hangs up. So let me ask you, let me ask you, yeah, it's good timing. Let me ask you, ready? (laughs) What hinders you from heeding God's call? What comforts or fears are standing in the way of God's word? In what ways in your life right now might you be sending God to voicemail, choosing not to go where he sends you, or acting like you just never really heard him in the first place? Last week in our gospel lesson, Jesus was talking about how we have to take up our cross and follow him. And in order to do that, we have to put down whatever else is already in our hands, whether that's fishing nets like it was for the disciples or money or a desire to be successful in this world or or to fit in with society or, or anything else. For Jonah, that's something he simply won't do. Yahweh says, arise, go, and instead Jonah rose to flee. Yahweh says, go to Nineveh, and Jonah packs his bags for Tarshish. Tarshish is a city in the opposite direction, which kind of represents a place of comfort and luxury, a place that is far distant from any responsibility or uncomfortable calling. It's kind of like the like a modern-day equivalent would be saying that we're, we're going to Vegas or something like that. It's kind of interesting, too, the, the name Jonah in the Hebrew means dove. And that sounds really nice until you realize that aside from Noah's Ark and the baptism of Jesus, doves aren't really viewed very highly in the Bible. They're considered to be senseless and brainless and unable to make good decisions. That's certainly true for Jonah. In this dove's case, hanging up on God leads him into a slow descent into darkness. And it begins right away. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. A few verses later, we're told, Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Soon, of course, Jonah will go down into the sea when he's thrown overboard, and then he'll hit the lowest point possible when he lands in Sheol, which we're going to be talking about next week. This slow descent into darkness is characteristic of what sin always does to us. Sin slowly eats away at us taking us deeper and deeper until there is no escape. It's like a river that's slowly eroding away its banks. Sin wants to erode our hearts and tear them apart, ridding them of God's love and God's presence. Do you see this to be true anywhere in your life? Are you letting it spiral out of control? Maybe just this once you said it first, but now you can't stop. You know, it's just a tiny white lie, but now it's grown quickly into this monster that you can't control. You know, maybe just this one Sunday we'll sleep in and and kind of spend some time together at home, but soon that becomes worshiping God with his family once a month, maybe less. For Jonah, booking a ticket for Tarshish turns into a near-death experience and hitting rock bottom. But even in all of this, Jonah cannot outrun God's love for him 
and for Nineveh. In fact, as much as Jonah thinks he's in control of his life, we see that Yahweh, the one true God, is in control of all things. (laughs) Something that Jonah himself is forced to admit when God throws a storm at him. Jonah does everything in his power to get away from the presence of the Lord, but he is soon reminded of King David's beautiful words in Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, which Jonah does, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, say in in the belly of a fish or something like that, even there your hand shall guide me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness into which Jonah slowly descended is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Jonah hires a ship sailing to Tarshish, and he sinks down into the bowels of the ship and falls fast asleep. But as Jonah snores on in his sin, Yahweh quite literally comes storming in. But Yahweh hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. The sailors on the ship cry out to their gods. They throw cargo overboard. They're doing everything they possibly can to avoid their certain doom. And Jonah sleeps on. Finally, the pagan captain of the ship has to come and wake him up, tell him to get up and pray. And even then, no prayer is recorded from Jonah's lips. They cast lots to see who's to blame for what's happened. And and like the crushing power of God's judgment, the lot falls on Jonah. And so finally, Jonah proclaims, I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the irony here is really thick. Not only because Jonah, the reluctant prophet, is finally forced to preach to unbelievers who are actually converted and worship God, but especially because Jonah has to admit that he knows in his head it is impossible to find a place where God's presence cannot be found. But his feet carried him this far anyway. And then Jonah has an idea. We might think that it's a pretty noble thing that he says to the other sailors, oh, you know, throw me overboard, it's my fault. But I think that maybe this is, in fact, Jonah's most brazen attempt yet to get away from God's presence. So reluctantly and with great fear, the sailors eventually comply with Jonah's request and they throw him overboard. And as soon as the sea swallows up the Lord's prophet, it stops raging and all is calm. Yahweh got his man. Let's not fool ourselves into thinking that we're much different. We each have our own Tarshishes, which is a really fun word to say, especially when you pluralize it. We each have our own, go ahead and say it with me, Tarshishes. It's kind of tough. We all tend to let sin sing us to sleep, don't we? We know that it's the height of foolishness to run away from God, but sometimes we do it anyway. Today, we need to learn from Jonah what he himself learned some 2,800 years ago. That the Lord is patient, but his day will come like a thief. Just as he did with Jonah, Yahweh will take you by storm or by whatever other means necessary. This is what Peter was talking about in our epistle reading. 
The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Therefore, Peter goes on, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Each one of us here today would do well to consider the next question from our sermon outline. Is God doing anything in your life right now to wake you up? Is there an area of your life that that you know needs to be brought into line with God's desire for you? Is there a, a sleepy sort of sin that you need to snap out of? God is patient, but he will come for you. Don't run away. Don't hit the snooze button in the hole of the ship. Hear his call to lead a life of repentance. Now, I don't know in what particular ways God is specifically calling you to wake up right now. Hopefully, you can think of of one or two. But I do know in what way God has set us free from the slumber of our sin, in what way he has reigned in our rebellion against him, how he has saved our lives despite our every attempt to throw them away into the heart of the sea. He did it by sending another prophet, a prophet without Orders, a prophet who would not flee from God's will, even if it meant death on a cross. A prophet who incredibly and willingly did experience being outside of the presence of the Lord in a way that no other human being on earth ever has. Jonah may be the anti-prophet, but Jesus is the ultimate prophet. Jesus willingly went beyond his borders not considering equality with God a thing to be tightly held onto, but instead becoming a man, entering into the flesh and with it the hostile territory of our world. Jesus broke through sexual and religious, ethical, racial boundaries. Jesus went wherever people needed him. He spent his entire ministry preaching to his worst enemies. And then he saved them. Like Jonah, Jesus was sacrificed for the sake of unbelievers. Not selfishly like Jonah was, but selflessly. Jesus calmed the storm by being thrown straight into it. Descending into darkness. Being swallowed up by God's wrath. And bringing about for us a sudden and eternal calm. Gave us peace. The sailors on the boat with Jonah had cried out, O Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Yahweh, have done as it pleased you. We, on the other hand, cry out with those who crucified Jesus, let his blood be on us and on our children, because by his blood and his sacrifice alone, we are saved. It pleased Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land, to send his best prophet, his only son, to hit rock bottom for us, to be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So, please, hear this now. By the death and resurrection of this Jesus, whose name does not mean dove, but rather Yahweh saves, you have been rescued from the darkest depths of your sin. Every time 
You have run away from God. Every time your sin has eaten away at your heart and spiraled out of control, every time you have slept on and ignored the storm that God sent your way, all of it is forgiven in the name of Jesus. God has not given up on you. He never will. Amen. God didn't give up on Jonah either. Um, Next week, we're going to pick up uh, with our kind of our last verse of today's reading uh, that says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Until then, may the peace of God, which crosses every border, which transcends our understanding, may it guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.